Present, seven present, none absent. All please rise and salute our flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Approval of minutes of October 7, 2019. There's a motion to approve by Mr. Russo. Is there a second? Second. Seconded by Ms. Van de Kloot. All those in favor? All those opposed? Motion passes. Approval of bills, transfer of funds, and approval of payrolls. Ms. DiBenedetto. Okay. So on. Show them wedding pictures. Okay. On page 10 of 15, Method High School, the amount of $10,034.31. It just seems high. Is there um, any <coughs> regulation? Um, and on that same page further down, it says Philion Associates, other supplies, and, the, and when you add them together, it's $9,432.93. That's the what? That's, that's um, out of a revolving account. So I can look up what exactly those would cover, if that Okay, would... it just, all together, it just other supplies. I just want, I was curious what they were. If you could email us, that sure. would be great. Um, and then, sorry, on page 12 of 15, Groundmaster Corp for $390. It was unclassified. I just was wondering, I'm assuming it's some kind of um, landscaping, but I just was wondering where and why it wasn't classified. It's the Ed Edgerly Field. So oh, that's okay. just a, the title of the account. And then further down um, on page 13 of 15, um, the pool service company, it was almost, you know, a little more than $2,600. Um, was there a problem with the pool? Because I think the pool was closed once. Closed for a couple of days. These are for chemicals on a routine basis. Oh, that was so, a routine. So, and the, the fill-in supplies is the same program. I can just get you a uh, summarized list of what was purchased. Okay, and um, thank you, thank you for all the answers. I appreciate you always answering them. And the pool was just closed for a few days. Yes. They just changed the chemicals and reopened. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Motion right. to approve. There's a motion on the floor by Mr. Russo for approval, seconded by Mr. Benedetto. Roll call vote, please. Yes. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative, motion passes. Report of secretary? None. Report of committees? School committee? None. I know there is an individual that would like to speak, but I believe they are out in the hall. Can we table community participation at this time? So moved. So moved to table it. Is there a second by Mr. Russo? All those in favor? Yes. All those opposed? Aye. Motion is tabled. Uh, community participation. Report of the superintendent, the superintendent's updates and comments. Madam Superintendent. Good evening, everyone. This past weekend featured perfect fall weather, 
and many events were held outside that our students and families could enjoy, including the Harvest Your Energy Festival, the McGlynn Middle School's PTO Yard Sale, and the Brooks PTO Annual Fall Fest. However, the weather last Thursday was not so great with the high winds and heavy rains. I'd like to thank um, many people who worked on behalf of keeping our schools smooth functioning. I'd like to recognize John McLaughlin and the Building and Grounds Department, the Medford Police and Fire Departments, the City's Department of Public Works and Eastern Bus Company, who working together made it possible for the schools to safely remain in session that day. Despite the weather on Thursday, Medford High School and the Medford Vocational Technical High School held the eighth grade open house. The Karen Theater was filled with students and parents and guardians, and there was standing room only space. High school student ambassadors led tours all over the campus, including the science labs, the fine arts department, the library media center, the vocational technical programs, and the athletic wing, where all the sports teams were present. I'm glad that so many of our rising eighth graders and their families were able to attend this important informational session. I'm also pleased to announce that two of our Medford High School students, Lang and Quing Cheng, twin sisters, each received $500 from the Pace family and the FAA USA. The Federazzini Associazioni Abruzzi to celebrate Italian Heritage Month. To be considered for the scholarship, the students had to write an essay describing their experiences with Italian culture and language. The students plan to continue to study the Italian language in college and hope to travel to Italy someday. Congratulations to the both of them. I'm also pleased to announce that due to the efforts of Molly Layden, our Director of Technology, Library and Media, who applied for a Makerspace grant through the Verizon Foundation, the Medford Public Schools was selected and we will be awarded $10,000. So it came in after the announcement, so we'll present it formally at our next meeting. This grant will enable Medford High School and the Medford Vocational Technical High School to create a shared STEAM makerspace to be used by core academic subjects and CTE programs that will enable academic and career preparation connections. Students and teachers in multiple programs and courses will use the makerspace to plan, design, create, and synthesize projects using interdisciplinary, project-based learning to solve and engage in STEAM activities. This is a longtime goal of this department and the Medford Public School District. Molly will be in attendance, as I said, at our next meeting to explain the full process in more detail. In the meantime, we thank Verizon for choosing us and commend Molly for applying for the grant. Very good. Also, recently, CASIT, Inc., in collaboration with the Sons of Italy, welcomed students in honor of Italian American Heritage Month, which is the month of October. Students were invited to create a booklet on the 500th anniversary of the death of Leonardo da Vinci, which celebrated his life and his works. The winners of the essay contest were hosted at this event. Cassett Inc. is a nonprofit educational and professional organization that promotes Italian language and culture in public and private schools throughout New England. 
As you are aware, Medford is one of the schools who partner with them. Medford took home second and third place awards. First place went to Our Ladies Academy, fourth grade in Waltham. The students were awarded $250. Our second place students were from the Brooks Elementary School, the fifth grade class. They were awarded $200. And I'd like to say a special thanks to the teachers, Jennifer Conti, Laura Odegardi, and Principal Suzanne Galusi. Our third place winners were at the McGlynn Elementary School, fifth grade classroom. And I'd also, they were, the students were awarded $150. And special thanks to the teacher, Debbie Notaro, and Principal Diane Garino. Just a reminder to everyone that this Wednesday, October 23rd, Medford High School will be hosting both the Planning for College information session for students with IEPs and on 504s and their parents or guardians at 5.30 p.m. in the third floor science lecture hall. And the annual college fair will be immediately following that in the Medford High School gym at 6.30 p.m. So this Wednesday, October 23rd. Thank you. Thank you very much, Madam Superintendent. Could I have a motion on the floor to resume community participation? Yes. Offered by Ms. Kratz, seconded by Mr. Benedetto. All those in favor? All those opposed? Community participation. Your name and address, please. Hi, I'm Cheryl Rodriguez, uh, 281 Park Street. I just came to, I wanted to speak about the bus two at the middle schools. Um, my daughter is a sixth grader at the McGlynn and we've had a few issues with that bus. Um, the, one of the issues is the bus is at the Andrews, so the McGlynn students walk over and um, last Friday in the wind and the rain, they, by the time they walked over, the bus was, was full and the kids had to sit three and four across. That seems to be a regular Friday occurrence. Um, right now, the bus is slightly full during the week because the cross-country team, which has 40 members right now, they're not riding the bus on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, but I anticipate that that um, will become an issue at the end of the month when, when that season ends. Um, a couple of times, she's been denied access to the bus. One time, she was diverted to a different bus and taken on a ride to Winthrop Street. Uh, to Goldilocks Bagels, at which point she was on the phone with me telling me she didn't know where she was and I could hear about six or seven other children in the background screaming, don't leave us here, we don't know where we are, don't leave us here. Um, they were returned to the school. I called, I didn't know at the time that the, they was not going to the McGlynn, it was going to the Andrews. I called the McGlynn and spoke to the secretary who was going to try to page Mr. Tucci, but by the time they got him, the children had been deposited at the Andrews and told that they were on their own and to walk home. Um, at that point, they walked across Riverside by themselves, across Salem Street by themselves to get home. There was a handful of kids. Luckily, one of them was an eighth grader. The rest of them were sixth graders who were shocked in the second week of school to find themselves walking home alone. So they've already moved one stop off of this bus to another bus because of overcrowding, but it's continuing to be an issue that we've called um, several times, asked them to, to track and monitor, but they don't ask the children to sign up which bus they're going on. So it's kind of a guesstimate how many kids will be on the bus, but I think when winter comes, it's gonna be more of an issue. A couple of kids said that they're sitting on other kids' laps because they're told they can't stand, but there's nowhere for them to sit. So it's a real crowding issue. Um, 
I can definitely, I can definitely um, look. This is the first time I'm hearing it, so it was not um, brought to my attention. And you said it was bus number two. It's bus number two. It goes um, down Sound Street. I've reported it to the principal a few times, and I was really upset when they, the couple of times that they had to walk home. So. Okay, so I will definitely be able to follow up with the bus company tomorrow. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Item number two, recommendation to approve grant for Head Starting Turtle Project, Jody Driscoll and Ivy Carnacucci. Good evening. Hello, Mayor Beck, Hi. Superintendent and School Committee. Uh, Jody Driscoll could not make it tonight, so it's just me. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going to read um, what you all have, because that's, that's what I got. <laughs> Um, so, the Morton and Spaperi Family Foundation has provided funding for the Medford High School to support the Blandings Turtle Head Starting Program. This is the first year the Morton and Spaperi Family Foundation has selected to fund this project for us. The total funding for the grant is $2,205.72. In 2015 to 2016 school year, participation in the Blandings Turtle Head Starting Program began at Medford High School. Participation provides high school students and community members an opportunity to meaningfully contribute to the maintenance of viable populations of at-risk and endangered native species in the Northeast Massachusetts. The turtle head starting success rate is that turtles have about a 40 times greater chance for reaching their 14th birthday. I know it's some random numbers for you, um, compared to those born in the wild. I would like to recommend that the school committee accept the grant funding. Motion to approve by Ms. Mustone, seconded by Ms. Kretz. Roll call vote, please. Yes. Member Kretz? Yes. Member Stone? Yes. Member Rivera? Yes. Member Stone? Yes. Member Van Yes. Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. 14. Mm -hmm. Item three, report on first annual Medford Vocational Technical High School fundraiser. Mr. Fallon and company. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Thanks for having me. So um, really what you have in front of you is a proposal for time to celebrate. Um, going into year three of the bistro being open now and we decided we want to do some kind of fundraiser to add to our programs. So what I've done in the past at my previous schools and it proved to be very successful was to have a fundraising dinner. And basically what happens is the culinary arts department will provide the meal, we'll get a one day liquor license, we'll also have other um, programs help us to design a theme, some props set up for the event. I have a few teachers who are in different bands or different, uh, they play different instruments. They want to be part of it as well for the entertainment. Really we're looking for approval for a spring date sometime in May. It would be an evening event open to the community. Tickets would be somewhere from $100 to $125 each and it would all be a fundraising opportunity. Mm -hmm. So May 2020, correct? Yes. 2020. <laughs> Mia okay. motion to approve. Mia made a motion to approve by Ms. Mustone. Is there a second by Mr. Ruggiero? <laughs> Mr. Benedetto. This is a great initiative, and I think it's a, a way to highlight the new bistro and to show other community members um, that they could utilize this space and rent it and um, do other things with it. So once we have them in the door, we can tell them about all the other great programs like um, getting their hair done and their oil changed and um, a dent pulled from their car. 
So like even if we have people you know there that night to just highlight some of those other things, it would be a great idea. I mean now it's fully lit up at night. We have ample parking, so we feel like the time is right now. Mm -hmm. It's great, and maybe we can even use the deck. Well, open it up there too. Well, that's what we thought. We can bring on some heat lamps too with that extra space. So yeah, we did think about that. That would be great. We'll do it later in May. Great idea. Chance. Great thinking outside Thank the you. box. Very nice. On the motion for approval of the fundraising effort. All those in favor? Aye. All those opposed? Motion carries. Thank you, Mr. Thank Fallon. You. Wait. I think you have another Recommendation to approve creation of new revolving account, MVTHS <coughs> fundraising. Ms. Patterson. So this is on the heels of the newly uh, approved fundraising <laughs> event. So in order to uh, facilitate that through the fiscal component, I do need to request and have your approval to have a new fund established, a revolving fund for that purpose. Very good. Is there a motion on the floor from Ms. Benedetto, seconded by Ms. Kretz. Roll call vote, please. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Motion passes. Thank, Thank you. you. Report on new hires, retirements, and personnel. Ms. Patterson. So we did provide uh, the most updated listing um, with information and transactions that have occurred um, through today to show the, the level of movement um, within the district. So we provided two listings, uh, higher listing by program type, so you could see how many uh, either after school program folks that have been hired, how many paras, how many teachers. Again, this is a moving list with activity that occurs on a daily basis with regard to either resignations and or people that are out on leave. We do have um, the subsequent list that identifies the retirements and resignations as of this new fiscal year. So anybody uh, uh, from July forward that we have been given information on is the list that was provided to you as well. And we do have a significant amount of movement that I think it's um, relevant to share and identify that as a seemingly small organization, there is a lot of transition with a very small office that handles all of this. So we, we have been working very hard over the summer and over the, the start of the school year to try to ensure that we have all the key positions filled. It's still an ongoing issue. We do have a number of people that um, are out on maternity leaves and or um, other types of unpaid leaves. So we continue to try to fill those as, as we possibly can. Getting further into the school year, it is more difficult to um, hire as most folks within a school have already been um, hired by a school department, if that's the case. But we do continue to hire for ongoing um, food service, for different daily substitutes and things of that nature that are a constant rolling um, retention and, and rehiring. Very good, thank you. Mr. Ruggiero. Thank you, Mayor Burke, and uh, thank you very much for the report. Um, so going through your, uh, the list of resignations here, I noticed that our nutritionist retired. So who's current, do we have any backup nutritionist or is Retta the only one? No, that was just a single position that she, she resigned. I she see. did not retire. Yeah. So are we anticipating on hiring someone new? And if so, when are we gonna post the position? We have not at this point in time. We are still doing the uh, 
pilot program, and that's been the focus at the moment. So we, we just hired a new kitchen uh, manager and a new utility driver. So there have been a number of positions within food service that we are trying to, to fill, fill at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, my concern is that uh, not having a nutritionist on staff for the entire district, I think, mm -hmm. is not a great idea as we're piloting a new program, like you're saying. So I, I seriously would like to suggest that we start looking for, to fill that position as soon as possible or find some sort of solution. Um, secondly, just I, I suppose a little greedy for me, I mean, who's going to be taking care of the blueberries in the middle of the, the high school? Uh, do, we, do we know what's going on with the outdoor that would learning be, lab? That uh, something that either student facilitated and or additional volunteer for that so, so right now we don't correct have. that's not that was not a part of her role right uh, I know she was just taking it on I, right. I know she did like a lot of work you know including like you know making hummus for the kids and uh, I, I would just this I, this is concerning to me um, especially with some other information that we have so I just would like to mm -hmm. be updated when we find out more about it and when we're gonna be filling up the role very good thank you Ms. Vandekloot hi um, for, I noticed that quite a number of people have been brought on after the start of school. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's just use the paraprofessionals that have been brought on, um, say in October. There's one October 8th, one October 15th, a second one, etc. cetera. Um, so at the beginning of the school, we have many uh, new employee <coughs> induction programs. Uh, when these um, uh, people are hired and have a later arrival, how are we making sure that they are up to date on all of the information they need to or would have gotten had they been hired in a uh, earlier time? So any information in terms of the start of school would be reliant upon their department heads and their building principals in terms of any additional training or, or mandatory items that they would have received um, as, as a, a new hire. The para group is not um, does not go through the um, rigorous process that teachers do, but they do get information and uh, notification on that, and that would be up to the building-based principals and the department heads. Do we have some sort of checkoff list to make sure, for example, that everybody is aware of our emergency plans? So the emergency plans, again, would be building-based, so mm -hmm. that's not a process of HR that we facilitate. Okay. I, I think we need to follow that through at some point, so... Um, thank you for that information. A second question is, um, I notice cheerfully that um, we have hired quite a few uh, people in the after-school program, mm -hmm. um, and I would like to ask for an uh, update on the after-school program um, at a meeting in the near future. Very good. Uh, thirdly, one, one last, I understand we have a teacher out um, a science teacher out and uh, at, oh, I think it's the Andrews, eighth grade, and parents were concerned about um, uh, who was going to replace the teacher. And uh, uh, Dr. Maurice, uh, you and I corresponded about this, saying that right now it was a certified teacher, but not certified in science. Yeah. Um, so the question is, is are we seeking a certified uh, science teacher to replace that because I think that there is concern especially given that the students had a teacher the same group of students had a teacher out last year 
So that's two years in a row that they would be having a non, um, or I, I don't know who took the place last year, but I, I do know right now uh, that we have a, a person in there who may be terrific, I don't know, but is not certified in science. The, the current teacher is a certified teacher, but not certified in science, um, has had a lot of um, exposure, has worked with science and science programming. So I was given um, that information. He was, uh, his current role, he was operating as the building, he was building based, uh, the, the ISS at the um, Andrews. So at this point in time, because um, we don't have, we didn't have the complete information in terms of um, the length of the leave, so the normal practice would be to put a substitute in place. So that's who was there for the time being, and um, we'll be able to revisit that. Okay, could you provide us with an update on, on that? And also, um, again, because of the concern, I would like to ask that, you know, the, um, uh, the, the new teacher be monitored carefully, um, just to make sure that he or she is doing whatever they're supposed to be doing. Yes. Thank you. Mr. Benedetto. Thank you. Um, first of all, I, I want to say thank you for the report. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of work that your department's done to onboard uh, and to do exit interviews for people who have retired and left. Um, I appreciate you doing it so quickly. Um, what I, I had some more questions, though. I wanted to know how many are open positions do we currently have throughout the district and what, what those positions are? Like if we do need um, um, substitutes for specific teachers or categories, how many people are on leaves and what kind of job titles we're looking for so I can help because I work in education, I might hear people available in throughout the community if the community knows that we're in a situation where we do have openings, someone may have a few months that, that have a licensed teacher or retired teachers might see that and see the need and step up for us. Um, so I, I asked for it for that reason. And you know, it can be ongoing, it can be in the next few weeks whenever you can get it. Um, so I can express that all the open positions are posted okay. actively on our website and it leads you to the direct hiring platform and most of the long-term positions that we needed to fill have been filled. We have an ongoing list as I indicated for uh, food service, for daily subs, things of that sort that we leave open but the majority of the actual position types that were needed for classroom coverage we have um, addressed, again, sometimes not in the exact capacity, but with a licensed teacher. So that has been identified. So I would encourage everybody to visit our site that is on, it's attached directly to the Medford Public Schools website, and it brings you directly to our platform that has all positions that are open, and we encourage folks to apply at any given point, and we continue that onboarding process. Great, and that includes like open uh, temporary positions for short-term and long-term leaves? Correct. Okay, great, that's good to know. Um, I agree with my colleague about substitutes. Um, pa a parent had asked me if substitutes or paras are, or, or other professionals within the building are trained um, with our emergency plans for the building that they're serving in and their lockdown procedures. Um, so 
My hope is through the administration there could be some type of procedure or policy in place for each building for onboarding of temporary and new staff that gets hired after the initial orientation week, just so we check all the boxes. Um, another question that's come up is all people within our schools, even volunteers, are quarried? Mm -hmm. Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Just, mm -hmm. just putting every question that I've received out there. Yes. Um, my other concern is, as my colleague um, noted about this specific science teacher, part of the reason there was concern is because eighth grade is a year that we test for MCAS. And if they've had substitute last year and they're again, um, but I trust your judgment. And if you're telling me that that substitute is a certified teacher and you're supporting them with the new programming and that our director of science is gonna be checking in and really helping them along the way, that um, I would feel comfortable telling parents that as they approach us and ask us and bring forward their concerns, which I'm really grateful for. We get a lot of emails and a lot of reach out text people on my porch around town. I'll text you different things that people are asking to just clarify because I, I don't know them all. I did notice today when I was on the website that uh, I think we're not having a meeting on November 4th, so our meeting dates have to be updated there because that hasn't been updated. Um, just just to reflect that so, so people are aware that I don't know exactly which dates. I was trying to fill out my, if we're rescheduling the next Monday is a holiday, Veterans Day, so. And then Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if we were going to try it next week or after that, but it's just just so we're all aware and on the page with that. I do try to check different things. Um, uh, I, I was sad to see that our nutritionist left, especially in the middle of a program, because we're really hoping for success with this new um, breakfast program. I also was wondering at the last meeting, we talked a little bit about the middle school bus just getting there right on time for class and has any movement happened with that so that children are there early enough to make to ensure they have time to grab a breakfast or eat their breakfast before um, going in. I know I'm putting you on the spot with that. No, so we did um, inform the buses that they could release the students for um, the purpose of having breakfast in the morning. And as far as I'm aware of, that has been taking place at all the outside buildings. Again, the Columbus is a little bit different because they've always had the mandated breakfast after the bell. Right. So there is, but even at the Columbus, they do have the release of the students on the bus in an effort. I know that the older age group is eating sometimes beforehand because again, our intent for the participation and success of this program was to serve hot breakfast. So that is being done. The actual um, menu for the breakfast is being updated now. And I will say that the, the position of a nutritionist is not necessarily something that is within every food service department. That was a nice nicety and it was very beneficial. So that will certainly be reviewed and looked at. But in terms of the requirements of the food service program, we are in compliance without that position. So I want to assure everybody that we are working very dil diligently to make this breakfast program a success. We continue to have uh, the increased uh, notification at all the school buildings. We are trying to encourage our high school students to come in as soon as they arrive on campus, that the um, 
cafeteria too has hot breakfast and from our new kitchen manager who's serving scratch breakfast. I'm talking about scrambled eggs, fresh sausage, there's pancakes, there's French toast sticks, there's all different options that we are really encouraging this participation and we have um, made every effort to, to make it successful. Thank you. I, I know there's a great effort here to provide breakfast for our, our community and I think it's a, a a good start, a really good, strong start. And um, I also just, my only concern was a parent in um, the hillside area expressed concern that the bus doesn't get there early enough for their child to get. It's not that they're not releasing them, it's that the bus is pulling up right on time for class, so their child doesn't, doesn't it doesn't affect this particular child, but it could affect other children from that area that might need um, time to, to eat because it is before the bell. That's just a concern um, when we're talking to the bus company to get them there early enough so that they can participate in, in all of the program because without the participation, we weren't, we're not gonna be able to continue this program. So it's very important for everybody listening to make sure their children or grandchildren go to school early and have a nice breakfast and it sounds delicious. I wish that I was there to participate. Thank you thank so you. much. Mr. Thank you for the Mr. report. Russo. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, just Hold on, I'm sorry, this, you didn't come up. Good, oh, good. all right. Um, when, whenever we have a teacher that is not certified in the particular discipline, that's reported to DESE, is in, correct? That shows up on the report card and all that stuff? Well, it depends on the length of time. So again, if we're talking just uh, a short-term leave of absence, if it's under 30 days, it's not, categorically catastrophic according to DESE okay. in that regard. And, and there is the ability to teach outside of your core subject area from licensure perspective. Sure. So where we may not have somebody in their particular field, again, science and math are very difficult fields to get somebody, especially once the school year has started, to have a content teacher that is licensed in any of the um, disciplines is a benefit. Of course. Thank you. Um, and then this is, you know, this is really down into the weeds, but um, apparently at the McGlynn today there was no French toast sticks available. They, they were served at all the other schools and they were ran out or whatever. Um, and that's not really why what I wanted to talk about. Uh, but um, a number of, I've, I've heard from a couple of parents whose kids are allergic to uh, dairy and they went to school today and they were very excited because it's French toast sticks day and they could eat the lunch and then they got there and they were replaced with mozzarella sticks because they were out. Um, and none of that actually That's particularly scary. bothers me. What bothers me is that are we really not providing everyday alternatives to fairly common allergies at lunch? Well, I can say that they do address the allergy. If there was, um, I know that French, French toast sticks were on the menu at most locations today, so it could have possibly been that they ran out. Yeah. Does that mean that that was the only option? They probably could have had others, and we will certainly look into that. But usually, if, it, if they run out, that was a popular menu item, and I would say that that's great participation, so. I, I would completely agree. I just, my, my question was really around like. Um, but that's lunchtime, right? That's yeah, lunch. this is lunch. Um, and, and I guess my question is like, if you are allergic to dairy, does that mean only certain days of the week you can eat lunch? Or can you eat lunch every day? 
No. And I don't know because I don't know what to do. They, they should have other options. The main item might not have been to their liking. Okay. So that, yeah, that would I mean, have been. I wasn't I mean, with the kids, so right. obviously I don't know that. But okay. Thank you. Very good. Is there a motion on the floor to accept this report and place it on file? So moved by Ms. Vandekloot, seconded by Mr. Regier. All those in favor? All those opposed? Motion granted. Item six, report on dyslexia screening tools update. Associate Superintendent, Ms. Caldwell. Good evening, everyone. So I just want to start this evening by letting you know how grateful and thankful I am that I'm working with a dream team. So first, I'd like to thank my dream team. This is Katie Champoli. She's our coordinator of special education. Susanna Campbell, our director of speech and language. And Dr. Nicole Chiesa, who is our director of humanities. Um, since we've begun this project back in August, they've been relentless in their efforts to make sure that uh, we have our professional development, that we have implementation of our screeners, and that we're moving forward. I'd also like to thank our superintendent, who is always very supportive of any new initiatives we have. The principals, the assistant principals, the educators, so just just so you know, the educators are very busy learning a new program. So they've been uh, participating in professional development as well as learning to work with the students in their implementation of the screener. And I'd like to thank the tech staff because it took a lot of downloading of some of the names with School Brains. And most importantly, right now for me, and for the girls will probably agree with me, um, my executive assistant, Michelle Bissell, has been also relentless in her energy to make sure we get the grant and she gets amendments for us. And I think in the past week we have uh, laminated, I don't know how many RAN assessments. So we're very lucky to have Michelle on board too. So I just want to start with a little bit of history about these screeners. So just about a year ago, on October 19th, 2018, Governor Baker signed into law a bill requiring the State Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, otherwise known as DESE, to issue guidelines to assist school districts to develop screening for dyslexia, screening procedures for dyslexia. DESE offered competitive grants this past summer and selected districts to pilot grants that were valid and reliable, scientifically based, brief, administered three times a year, and had an inclusion of code in meeting based and or rapid automatized thank you naming assessments which is the RAN. The department approved the following screeners that met the aforementioned criteria. They approved the ISIP early reading assessment, Lexia rapid assessment, map growth reading, and star early literacy and star reading assessments. The Columbus School was awarded the MAP grant in late August, and the McGlynn was awarded the Lexia Rapid grant in September. So you'll notice that in my previous report, I said that the Brooks and the Roberts schools were going to pilot the Dibbles 8. And we were excited to have Dibbles 8. It is a program that you can use all the way through eighth grade, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Though it's not similar to the Lexia or the MAP programs, 
because it was not an online program. So it would be similar to doing a DRA, which is a one-on-one -on -one with each student, which takes 30 to possibly 45 minutes to do. However, on October 1st, Lexia Rapid offered to provide the Brooks and the Roberts schools professional development and the use of their online screening tool. This is the best part. Well, maybe not, but it's free of charge. So our screening team reviewed Dibbles 8 and Lexia Rapid and decided that in consideration of consistency, assessment time, and time on learning, and of course, meeting DESE criteria, we would accept Lexia's offers to pilot at the Brooks and the Roberts Elementary Schools. This is a great opportunity for Medford Public Schools. The professional development required is less intensive. The tool itself is mainly online, like MAP. Student assessments take less time. One of the four screeners, it is one of the four screeners Desi is recommending for our schools. So the superintendent and the screening committee agreed that this is a win for Medford Public Schools. In addition, Lexia is offering core five to our K-2 staff. Lexia Rapid is a screening tool that we will be using. Lexia Core 5 is a computer-based intervention tool. So this is the first time that students use it. They will log in, and there's a placement exercise for them to do. And then based on those results, student profiles are created that target intervention to support and grow in the areas of need. So this would be for the Lexia and also for our MAP students as well. So as Medford Public Schools conducts this pilot of Core 5, we will offer district-wide optional professional development for K-2 educators. This is separate from the DESE-funded grant and was generously offered by Lexia free of charge. Educators who choose to take this training, and we hope that most of our educators take the training, they will be provided professional development after school hours and additional professional development points, PDPs, that can go towards relicensure. So at this time, I'm going to ask Katie Champoli to talk a little bit about our MAPS program at the Columbus Elementary School. So, Susanna, I just tap this? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, in August, uh, over the summer, we were informed that the Columbus was granted uh, the MAP assessment grant from the state, which is um, created by a company called NWEA, and the assessment is MAP Growth Assessment K2. So we got that information over the summer, and at that time, um, Ms. Caldwell, myself, Dr. Chiesa, and um, Ms. Campbell, and uh, Kathy Kay, Dr. Kay from the Columbus School, we met with Martha Coakley, who was a representative from NWEA, about MAP over the summer. And um, at that time, ar around that time, around the beginning of the school year, Ms. Kay informed her staff about the award of the grant, and she uh, um, identified a point person from each grade. Those point people then participated in a webinar with Dr. Kay and NWEA to learn a little bit about the assessment. There were also some online training modules that the teachers watched before the screener was implemented. Screening then began on September 16th, 
Um, Ms. Coakley, who was our representative at the time, was at present at the Columbus that day and helped meet with some of the teachers at that time. On October 9th, Dr. K had one of her staff meetings, and at that time, she talked to them about review of test results. In between um, the testing and the staff meeting, Dr. K had had a number of conversations with Ms. Coakley uh, about the screener and about the, how to view the results. Ms. K, uh, Dr. K has also had individual meetings with different teachers or small group meetings um, that have been, uh, that have not been mandatory, that have been um, just based on individual teacher need. And um, Ms. K has relayed any information that the teachers need that she's been able to get from NWEA. Then on October 16th, we had um, a more in-depth training. Two representatives from NWEA came out and um, met with administrators in the morning and then with staff in the afternoon and really went into um, to detail about how to re review these test these assessment results and how to make meaning of them with respect to their own students and how to kind of try to inform their instruction based on these results. So, um, oops, sorry. For participating in, in this grant, the teachers at the Columbus will get 20 PDPs that can be applied towards their relicensure. The assessment was given between September 16th and September 27th, and that doesn't mean that they were assessed every day between that window, simply that it stayed open in order to account for every student who might have been absent when their classroom did the assessment. Students spent approximately 20 to 25 minutes on the assessment, then they were able to take a break and then most students were done within a total of 45 minutes that was including the break. So as far as what's next, after the assessment is, was given and the window closed, that's when MAP analyzed this data and uh, generated reports for each of the teachers based on their individual students' um, performance. And as part of that report, each student is given what's called a RIT score, a, which means, which MAP has created and which they have defined as ready for intervention today. So the students are given an overall RIT score for their reading. They're also given RIT scores in the areas of foundational skills, language and writing, literature and informational and vocabulary, vocabulary use and functions. And those are aligned with the Massachusetts curriculum frameworks. Every student also got what's called a Lexile range, and that correlates, you can, MAP doesn't necessarily um, put a, a stamp of approval on the Lexile as far as it compares, if you can take Lexile and um, compare it with another program for reading. So teachers can take the Lexile score, go to the internet and see how does that relate with another another program as far as picking texts for my students in my classroom. So because MAP or NWEA didn't create these conversion charts, they don't give a stamp of approval, they just say this is the Lexile range for this particular student. Um, as far as what's next also, so teachers can take the RIT score and then go to MAP's Learning Continuum, which is a resource that takes that three-digit number and tells the teachers where their students are ready to learn based on that particular score. Those are also aligned with the mass curriculum frameworks 
so that when teachers are introducing a new topic, they can go to the learning continuum to see um, where students should begin based on um, their instructional levels. And that's something that we didn't really get to go into in depth with NWEA um, at the training last week, but they are um, happy to talk to, to us more. They've been very responsive to, to emails and requests for additional information. So, um, as Ms. Caldwell discussed, there will also be optional PD on Lexia Core 5 after school hours. So even though Columbus is not doing Lexia Rapid, the staff from the Columbus still has the option to participate in Lexia Core 5 training, which is their intervention piece, so separate from the assessment. And it's not related to MAP, but it still can be helpful to all of the teachers. Because um, MAP doesn't have its own system of intervention, they were clear with us that they are an assessment company for K-2, they're not an intervention company. So their product is, is focused on assessment, but they do have what they call instructional connection providers. Um, certain companies that they have identified that you can take your RIT score to and give it meaning within that program. And among the instructional connection providers that MAP has is learning A to Z, and that's something that the Medford Public Schools does have access to. That's something, again, we really didn't get to go into depth with them about last week, but they're willing to give us more information about that. Um, and then the results, I'm gonna skip that second bullet because we already talked about it, and we'll be talking about it more afterwards. And then um, one other screener that the staff at the Columbus will be giving is the RAN assessment because the MAP growth K2 does not include a rapid automatized naming assessment, so that's a supplement that will be given to the, the students at the Columbus to assess in that area, which can, um, these, these results will be calculated by the teachers and difficulty on this task could potentially indicate risk for future difficulty with reading fluency. So that's why we want to make sure that we did give that supplement. And then from there, if they do indicate um, that this could be a potential area of weakness, then the staff can give intervention focused on automaticity and fluency. Um, I can give you a little, we put a link here to just show you a little bit about what the assessment looks like. I should mention also that there is also um, a follow-up webinar that we are trying to schedule within contractual teachers hours to show the staff more about the um, skills checklists that go along with the MAP growth assessment. It was in a packet that we provided to you, I think, at your last meeting. So as part of MAP growth K2, that if you think about it as an umbrella, that's, that's the name of this suite of products. They have the math growth assessment, which is what the kids at the Columbus have already done. Um, they have skills checklists, which can go hone in further on particular skills. And that's what they're going to provide a little bit more detail about in this next webinar. And then it also has a screener that they said is, was generally intended for incoming kindergartners. So right here, this link will just show us a little bit about um, what the students saw when they took the assessment. Not exactly. I might need to get out of the PowerPoint for them. Okay. 
wondering if we should go through the rest of the PowerPoint and then we'll do all the demos at the end. Sure. Is that okay with everybody, just so that we can finish up the PowerPoint first? Mr. Benedetto, hold on, I have to. The RAN assessment, yeah, we haven't identified a, a deadline for that just yet. We didn't really want to overwhelm the staff. They were given so much information, and they've, um, they're really doing such a good job of taking this all in and, and processing all this information this, that this is giving them about their students. So we didn't want to overwhelm them by saying, oh, you need to have this done by November 1st, um, especially where the training just happened last week with, with MAP. Um, so they have the assessment, but we haven't told them we want you to have it done by this date. No, actually, um, it's given individually. It's um, we have an example actually here okay. today. times a year. These, these particular tools for this pilot, yeah, are done three times a year. Alexia as well. Yeah. Three times a year. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. 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 We, we hope so. We hope so. So letters will go home to parents informing them of the different test assessments that we're giving. Um, it is my understanding that the map went out already to the Columbus School parents and that Lexi has probably already gone out to our Brooks Roberts and McGlynn parents. Normally when we do DRA assessments we don't usually inform parents but we can look at that and just let parents know how their children are doing and what the intervention might be for each student.
so I don't know if this is still on. Um, but I will say that um, report cards go out for students the first week in December. And normally during that time when the teachers have conferences, they'll be able to share um, any scores of the assessments that are given to the children. Thank you. Oh, um, I, can I add one thing to that too? Um, so MAP and MAP has a very extensive report that they provide families. They've condensed it now to be called family report, so it's a little more user friendly for the parents. But it essentially gives all of the information of how the child performed. Um, it looks at the growth, so when parents sit down with the teacher, they can look at you know. He started here, he's grown this much, and it also tells you the readiness skills. So he, is, he or she is ready for blending, or he or she is ready for this. So it actually outlines that very, very clearly, not just for the teacher, but within that family report as well. And um, Lexia has a somewhat similar report. So they'll, the companies themselves will have a nice way of communicating it, which will be helpful to all the educators. Um, I actually love that map report. It's very informational, so. Yeah. Okay, so we are having a little technical Ms. difficulty, Ms. but Ms. I can continue. Ms. Mustone. Um, I just wanted to ask, so, you know, usually when something's too good to be true, it is. Mm -hmm. So with Lexia letting us use it for free, yes. does that mean in June we have to budget for $500,000 for this so program? So right now, um, to buy Lexia, it costs a little over $7 for the screener tool. Per However, year, per student. <clears throat> yes, per student. However, their um, core five tool is a little bit more than that, or a lot more than that, depending on what you think. It's $40. For which one was that? Lexia core five. The That's the intervention tool. Okay. So yes, I think what Lexia wants to do is prove to the state that Medford is doing outstanding using our product, see the results, and then the state adopts Lexia. So therefore, Medford would have to. And then what's Dibbles per student? I don't know what Dibbles per student. Less. I don't know the number. I'm just. But it, we have to remember too that Dibbles, there's three separate things that we're talking about right. there, though, because there's Rapid, which is the screener. Yeah. So that would be in comparison to Dibbles. Okay. So they have um, screeners. Four five is an intervention. It is not a screener. So okay. So we're comparing the screeners. We'd be looking at Map, Rapid, mm -hmm. and Dibbles. We would not be talking about four or five. Okay. So are we looking at them together then, or are we looking at them separately? Core 5 we're looking at separately. separately as an intervention tool. It was something that Lexia offered. 
we didn't feel that that was something we should take away from people for this okay. year with intervention, but we are looking at it completely separately, and it's also optional for our K-2 teachers. So okay. not every teacher will take advantage of the Lex, well, we hope they do, but they may not all take advantage so of So does Dibble and MAP and RAPID sell an intervention program like Lexia does? No. MAP does not, and Dibbles does not, that I'm aware of with Dibbles. I know okay. MAP doesn't. I'm just wondering, are we choosing it because it's free, or are we choosing it because it's the best option for the screeners? Lexia Core 5 is a very strong intervention program. Um, okay. It was a wonderful opportunity that we were not expecting Lexia to offer us. We were expecting just the screener, the Lexia okay. Rapid, to come our way. Um, this was just a, an add-on that is used in many different districts and is um, very well received. So we thought it was a nice opportunity um, for the children and the educators. But then, so I guess if the trial yep. is for the year, yep. and hopefully we learn which kids need the intervention, yes. and then we will be looking then to use their intervention, the core five, then we do have to budget for $40 a student per year for this program if this is what we use with So I, I think we need to wait for Desi to weigh in on okay. this. So the Department of Education, after the whole year of doing all of these assessments with various districts, are then going to take a look at all this information okay. and then choose a screening tool for us. So it may be that they say Lexia is the tool or they might choose one of the others. Right, and I guess, I'm sorry I'm being cynical, and I owe that to Paul, because he says there's big money in education, and, and he's right, because he made me read a book about it. Um, so I guess I'm just doubtful that, what is, is Lexia, is this really the best option out there, or do they market themselves so well, and give it to people for a year for free, that we end up thinking it's the best and we use it? So when you're talking about how we selected the screeners to use, these were screeners that DESI put on their list that they wanted piloted. So that was their decision that we have already had on there, the NWEA, MAP, and Lexia Rapid. Those okay. were both assessments that were put out by DESI. So you have to remember that what's happening at the McGlynn is a DESI grant. So we are doing this for DESI. They're looking at it as a potential that they might recommend to the state. So that isn't that we were just listening to marketing. That was something that DESI Provided. And I'm not even being cynical just with no, the city of Medford. I'm being cynical with the Department of Ed of Massachusetts. We really don't know what the Department of Ed's going to do yet. Um, you know, they are tasked with the challenge of outlining the guidelines that will be needed for a dyslexia screener. Um, when we were meeting with the MAP people the other day, they gave us examples of other states that had certain um, components that were the state had required for the screener. We're not sure yet, and I don't think Desi's sure yet, of exactly which components they're going to outline. We have a very good okay. understanding of it, but not a definite. And I think that's what they're doing with the screeners, because the different um, they're trying out the different ones to see which one's going to hit um, where okay. they feel like the most essential And then with the core are. five for the intervention, is that, would that bring on more staff, or you are saying the classroom teacher would be the interventionist using the yeah. core five? Yeah. Yes. And okay. or Title I and okay. or EL, because okay. they are also being trained. Okay. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. All set. So uh, we're we have having a, We have some... a bunch in the queue right now. Oh, sorry. 
So we are having some technical issues, as you can tell. So I think what would be best is if we present the mm -hmm. rest of our presentation just orally, and then if I can get on, I will show the demos at the end, but I'm not having any luck with the PowerPoint. So <coughs> I think maybe I can stop blinding you we, for a moment. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, we have a bunch in the queue right now. Oh, okay. Are Sorry. you asking to hold questions until you complete? I would like to finish the presentation. Okay. If we thank could you. all be patient and let them finish. Okay. Thank you. So I'm going to go without the presentation up front, but I'm, Susanna and I are going to um, present to you information, a little more information about Lexia Rapid. So as our associate superintendent mentioned, uh, Medford Public Schools was awarded the grant for Lexia Rapid. And I want us to think very separately, put core five out of our brains right now, we're on Lexia Rapid, the screener. So the McGlynn was awarded that. And then we were also offered free of charge to the Brooks and the Roberts Elementary School. To prepare for this adequately, uh, we have two different professional development dates um, so far. The first date was most recently October 16th. The McGlynn had their own professional development because they are doing this through the state. And the Brooks and the Roberts came together. Um, had a live person to do their, um, their training, which is called the rapid rollout, which was mentioned in the report. So they were trained in um, how to implement the assessment and uh, learned more about Lexia overall for those that were not as familiar with it. On November 20th, the teachers, this is K through two teachers, this is Title I teachers, special education teachers, ELs, EL teachers, um, who work with our K-2, they will again participate in another training which we call the data dive. And that's where once they have the data, they will work with, our, with the consultants from Lexia to really understand that data more, more clearly. So those are our two dates for PD. We have the 16th and November 20th. There will be other data dives once the, um, one, the assessment given in the winter and the spring occur. I've already mentioned to you who's involved. So we have classroom teachers K through two and the other people who I mentioned. Um, in addition to the PD, there is something called Lexia Academy. That is an on, that has a variety of online modules for the teacher to become a little bit more acclimated. Um, I am one of those people who hears the information at a professional development or a conference and I want to go back and play around with it and listen to additional modules and that's what this allows. So the teachers have a lot of resources to refer back to as they continue to learn about Lexia. And similar to MAP, uh, teachers who are participating will be, will be awarded 20 PDPs that can be applied for DESE relicensure. For Lexia Rapid, the screening window opened on October 17th, and it will continue to be open until November um, 19th, right before the data dive. Similar to MAP, they are certainly not tested every day. Um, it is a Lexia Rapid assessment. The goal is to assess um, as efficiently and as effectively as possible. It's just that this is the window that's open for the teachers as they um, figure out the schedule that works best for their classroom. So we have a three-week window in which Lexia Rapid um, can be given. And again, this is the same for McGlynn, Brooks, and Roberts. We're trying to be as consistent as possible amongst the three schools. 
and we will also um, administer the rapid naming assessment, which has believe has gone around to everybody um, or is making its way around to everybody. And that is because Lexia Rapid, just like MAP, does not have a test um, that checks for that. This one was mine, right? So the, the, uh, once again, when we do the Lexia data dive, that will be on-site professional development. The teachers will analyze the student data on various levels. They'll look at it individually. They'll look at it whole class. And they'll look at it whole grade. And there'll be additional PD sessions um, for, the, for the other data dives. As has already been mentioned, um, we will then have the Lexia Core 5 offered as a what's next um, intervention piece uh, for those teachers that want to take participate in it. And, and teachers are very excited about it, I will say. I, at the, when I was at the PD, they were asking me all about the Lexia Core 5 as well. So I think we will have active participation um, for this intervention tool. And I, with that, I think I'm going to give it to Susanna to finish the presentation, and I'm happy to answer any questions after. Thank you, Nicole. So as has been mentioned already, the Lexia Rapid results will result in suggestions for intervention, and these are available to the teachers immediately. So once a student has completed the screener, they are given a score, and the teacher can see what are the areas of strength, what are the areas of weakness that I need to address. Lexia Rapid has what's called connections. This is available in just the screener. So Lexia Rapid has connections, as does Core 5. But even just with the screener, they have connections. So what that means is that if you identify that a student has difficulty in a specific area, you can look at the connections, you can select the grade level, and it will give the teacher specific things they could work on within the context of the classroom, sent home as ideas for parents. So there's a, a direct connection with intervention strategies they could use right away. It also gives information about how to group children into intervention groups. It will identify that there are three children in your class who are struggling with a particular skill, so that we'll identify what they might need to work on. It also looks at opportunities for enrichment. If you see students who are above grade level in certain areas, it will also give you ideas of what to do with those students. So it provides a wide variety of intervention. We already discussed how the results of the rapid naming screening will be um, addressed through interventions around automaticity and fluency. We can answer more questions about that afterwards if you would like. And the last piece I want to mention before we take questions and give you some demonstrations are the, the, scoring, the screening scores that come from Lexia. So similar to what you saw Katie present regarding MAP, there are also three scores that come from Lexia Rapid. You are given the Reading Success Probability Score. That score gives teachers an idea of how likely the student is to be at grade level by the end of the school year. The next score is a percentile rank, and that is for each area that's assessed. So they would use the bell curve to determine where is the student in all of those areas that we have mentioned. The last score is the performance score, and this measures the skill development over time for each screening task. So how is the student doing in comparison to what they had on the previous screening? to show growth over time. And one last thing is the Lexile measure. So similar to what we have mentioned regarding MAP, where they give a Lexile score, which can be converted into other scores that teachers are familiar with, such as Fountas and Bunnell scores or DRA scores, 
They are correlated so that you can determine what grade level that student is at for instructional tests, um, text and also for independent reading text. So if I can get the technology to work, I would like to show you some demonstrations. Do you want to do questions before or after the demos? Before. Mr. Ruggiero. Thank you, Mayor Burke, and thank you very much for all the hard work on this issue. I know this is not just important to me, but our entire community. Um, I do have a couple of questions really quick about um, the initial observations of the report. So it, September 16th, you said that we did the initial map testing, is that correct? Mm -hmm. So can you give us a, a sense of, um, it was the REI score, was that one, or is it RET, sorry? The RIT score, RIT. The RIT. So on that score, is dyslexia viewed as sort of a place on the spectrum? Or is dyslexia, how is dyslexia exactly tested? Because that's sort of an either or type of prognostic measure versus sort of like a, a value on a bell curve. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can take one. Oh, go ahead. So, um, the MAP growth assessment isn't going to give a diagnosis of dyslexia. Um, what the representatives from NWEA said to us is that their um, skills checklists are what would be um, most helpful in, in, the, uh, in um, predicting red flags. And it, they're not going to diagnose dyslexia either, but they would say, oh, there's a weakness in this particular area. And then they went on to talk about how, for example, the state of Indiana has used three or four of their skills checklists as part of their dyslexia screener. Um, so, so what we're looking at here is sort of a, a battery of different skills. Yeah. And so if a kid sort of, for lack of a better word, bombs a bunch of regions or domains on those skills, then they're forwarded to someone? Or how would that work? So what we would be looking at is there's critical skills that are predictors that a student is at risk for reading difficulty. So I think that we want to be careful that we're not just looking for dyslexia. We are looking for kids who are at risk for reading difficulty as a larger umbrella. Sure. So what we would need to look at to determine those risk factors are different areas. One of them is phonological awareness. Another is sound symbol recognition, so understanding how the letters and sounds go together alphabet knowledge, decoding skills, rapid naming, and encoding. So that would be, encoding is spelling, so that's more for our second graders. That wouldn't be for the kindergartners or first graders who are just really learning how to decode. But the reason that we added in the rapid naming is because that was the one area that is not covered by these assessments. So we wanted to be sure that we were looking at all of those potential red flags. Now, if a student shows that they have a weakness in these areas, the first step is that we try interventions in general education. The first step would not be that you jump right ahead and try to see if the child has a diagnosis of dyslexia. What you want to do is you want to try to intervene right away because as we learned from Dr. Gobb last spring, if we intervene early, we can help children before they get to that point. So the idea is we find who's at risk and we provide interventions right away and then we see how the children do over time while monitoring their progress with the interventions they're receiving. I, I guess my concern with the issue, and I have no doubt on the, the abilities of the staff to handle these issues, but um, being able to address dyslexia is a serious concern that people devote like an entire 
like medical career too, basically. So you have someone who knows how to handle these kids versus sort of a generalist, you know, environment that you would have from the teachers address these issues. Because I mean, there's certainly a, difficulty, a difference between reading difficulty and dyslexia. And I guess that's what I'm trying to suss out here on these, these metrics you're bringing, bringing ahead. Like if you see like five red flags, do you say, okay, so we'll give this kid a couple of months to, to try to, we'll really focus, we'll bring in some coaches or whatever it takes to get this kid moving, or do we start moving that information ahead with the parents say, look, this child might need help outside of school in addition to the work that we're doing inside of school, and we get to figure out a partnership. Do you understand the question I'm trying to say? I understand what you're saying. I just think that there are a lot of components that go into why a child is successful or is not successful on a screener, um, and it's the first step. So if I'm a kindergarten uh, student and I come in and I don't know my letter IDs, is that because I wasn't exposed to it? Or is there something more deep, um, deeper going on that requires additional intervention? We don't know yet. So we have to start with that tier one general education. Uh, we have our wind block set up where we can intervene if there's a weakness in phonological awareness we can intervene during that, but more at a tier one level. Um, and then over time, you know, we see, is there that growth, right? Is there effective progress being made with the intervention that's being given to you? And if there's growth, that tells us that the child is responding. It's when that is that lack of growth where, you know, we're not making movement, we're not moving that needle for that youngster, that it can become a deeper concern. But with, I, I feel like sometimes when we say dyslexia screener, it's almost a misnomer in that it's really um, a literacy weakness or challenge. Um, but certainly, these screeners won't be able to say, to, to you know, give that diagnosis. Does that, does no, that make sense a little and, bit? And I think it's important okay. that we recognize this as a committee, that yes. we're not screening for dyslexia, we're screening for reading ability. Right, and, and so yeah, the, the question I have would be, let's say, for example, you give a student this test mm -hmm. and they don't do very well for yes. whatever reason, so intervention is applied. When does the next test happen? So not, so the next test for the screener would be in the winter. So we do fall, winter, spring. Okay. But in between that time, we're also giving other quick um, assessments because we certainly wouldn't want to say, oh, in September you did poorly and come winter you're still doing poorly. That's so many months of, of, of not knowing that our intervention worked. So we do a lot with progress monitoring. Um, we do a lot with other pieces that we have to see if the child's making effective progress um, beyond that. But certainly we will give that same screener again. Um, but at that moment, if I'm giving it in the fall and then giving it in the winter, if I'm doing the progress monitoring and other pieces within the general ed curriculum, I should know really is, is how this child's going to do. You know, it's not like we give it, then we, we don't go back to it and, and assess. Does yeah, that I, help? I certainly do not yeah. doubt the yeah. ability and the hard work of our teachers, yeah. but I think the reason why we're having this conversation now mm -hmm. is the recognition that some kids slip through the cracks. I mean, that some children who had dyslexia weren't 
identified in maybe the quickest way possible. Or maybe we could do a better job of mm -hmm. identifying earlier to make sure that these kids. So what I'm trying to get a hold of is what is the, the educational roadmap. Right. So I understand a kid, let's say yeah. a kid doesn't do great in fall. He doesn't do great in winter. Let's say he doesn't do great in spring either. Um, when do we begin to start huddling up and say, well, maybe this child is dyslexic, and so, that's fine. I mean, yeah. it's not. It, it's just a different way of thinking. It's so, so we need to address something outside of school or some other technique. Right. So certainly, it's going to be based on the individual, right? And it's going to be personalized, child to child. Um, if I'm not making progress come fall, if a, if a screener is given to me in September and before the next one's given, we're going to know, is this child making effective progress even before that screener is given? Um, so it, it truly does depend on the child and, and how they're responding. And I don't know if, if you guys want to well, add more to Well, I just wanted that. to add to that that another piece of this is having the family be a part of this conversation, as you have brought in. So part of what we would talk about with the parents during a parent-teacher conference would be to find out is there also a family history of reading challenges in the family that would be something that would you know play into what the next steps are and again we're looking at progress we want to see does the child respond to the interventions because that is how you determine where you go next that's across the board we take data we see what we're doing and then we make the next steps if we feel that the child needs to be assessed through special education absolutely that will happen but I think that we have to look at this overall screener is a universal screener that we're using to get some idea of where our students are starting so that then we can provide interventions and see how they respond. If those interventions are not working, then absolutely, we recognize that they might need specialized instruction, they might need an IEP, but that's not always the first step. No. So there will be situations where we would jump right to doing an evaluation like that, but it's, we have to take every case individually. No, and, and I completely understand what you're saying. So okay. my son is sick, for example, let's say he has a cough, we take him to the doctor, the doctor runs a battery of screens and maybe prescribes him an antibiotic. But if he's still sick in a number of other weeks, then we do other things. I, I have no doubt like what, a, what you're all trying to do. I guess one of the things that's not clear to me is the, the course by which it goes. And I understand it's certainly somewhat you, you play it by the kid, so each kid's a little different. I understand that. But it's important for me to understand that after, let's say, eight or nine months of intervention, we're not going anywhere. There's sort of a stopgap or an, an, a necessitated next move that we have to make sure, because I mean. So we don't let it go that long. I, I mean, I'm sure you we look at each child as the women have said individually, and then we change our interventions. So we may work on a specific skill for about three weeks, and then we reassess. We do formative assessments all the time on our children. And then we either change the intervention. These are professional people who know what they're doing. Right. So if this child needs um, an IEP, then we move in that direction. I guess, so as I'm talking to different people, there is the perception or belief or parents have this experience. And I'm trying to make sure that we don't have the experience where someone had to pay for their own assessment. They told the kid's just a little, has a little trouble with reading or will never be a novelist or something. These are words that parents will tell me that was, was told to their child. They paid for an intervention and now they're actually working with an outside consultant to make sure that that child has the help they need and they're catching it in the sixth grade. 
I have no doubt. I mean, I'm a teacher myself. I understand when you have a classroom of students, sometimes maybe their dyslexic kids are also can often be very bright and very good at hiding and shielding their certain inabilities. Um, so I guess I just want to make sure when I talk to this parent, I can say to them, well, these things won't happen anymore. We have a new screening program and we have a new roadmap to making sure that kids get the, the process and the help that they need. Does that, does that make sense? So it makes sense to me. I think that never say never, first of all. You can't go there. But we are making tremendous progress. Yes. Yes, and I, I, and I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to make sure, oh, She's Madam Superintendent. If you have yes, I just to wanted to weigh in to say that, um, again, this is new. Um, we are working cooperatively with the state, and um, this didn't exist before. This, the screening mechanisms, I mean, they were there, but they weren't available to us in the, fa uh, the capacity that they're available right now. If a teacher, uh, a highly qualified teacher has a student that is displaying difficulty or you know there's a red flag that is alerted um, after monitoring that student we would definitely not allow that student to struggle for eight or nine months we would definitely take the appropriate steps however at the same time we have to be very careful because we don't want to automatically say a student has to go on an IEP or a student um, mislabel students. So when we're trying to do the least restrictive, you try the least restrictive um, efforts possible, I would say, at the beginning. And then as you see a child needs additional support, we will definitely give the children support. The fact that we are front-loading, we're partnering, um, Lexia wanted to partner with us, and um, we are being proactive in getting the professional development done early, having these um, resources at our fingertips so that when Desi makes the decision next year at the end of 20, school year 20, um, in the fall of 2020, that we will be in a very strong position to be able to say whether Desi says we're going with MAPS or we're going with Lexia or some other screener, Medford Public Schools teachers in K-2 will have had solid training over the course of this entire year to be able to um, identify and work with those students. So I, I do want to um, assure the school committee and our listening audience that we are taking this very seriously. And I want to acknowledge and really applaud the work that's been happening with Associate Superintendent Caldwell, Dr. Chiesa, and Ms. Campbell and Ms. Champoli, the work that they've been doing, meeting for hours, um, really looking at the data, looking at what the best products are out there. Um, in response to a comment that Member Mastone made earlier, asking why Lexia, um, are we just, you know, were we just kind of recruited? Lexia is one of the top programs. It is very expensive. If you remember me making an analogy a few months back about um, what version of the plan that we would want to go with, um, Lexia is one of the costly brands, but it's also a good one. And so what we can do is wait and see. But we also have to wait on what the state tells us and take our final marching orders from the state but in the meantime, we are being trained, our teachers are being trained, and we are now looking at um, these early literacy assessments to be able to determine 
whether or not we have students that are showing um, those tendencies. And that's what the state wants. So I, I do wanna say we're doing what the state wants us to do and we're in a good position because we're doing it early. And so yeah. next year again, we will be in a much stronger position and I just wanna really restate that, that we're not taking it lightly, we're not sleeping at the wheel, we are very alert, very attentive to this, and it is important. It's important for our students, and we want to get it right. But this is our time to learn. This is our time to figure it out and get it right. So a year from now, we will be close to smooth sailing. Right, and, and I, I think it's important to recognize I, others, I'm not. Other members that would like to ask Well, let me just ask a few more questions, Mayor Burke. Um, I wanted to get a sense of the early assessments that have been taken. I mean, can you give us a sense of what percentage of children have been identified with needs or certain deficits in reading skills? Yeah, I mean, we, we really can't, we haven't been able to go aggregate a, a it huge together. dive into yeah. the data um, because we just got that, we just got that PD from um, MAP last week about how to really interpret the right. scores. Okay. So, um, yeah, it would be really great to hear an update. Thank you so much for all the hard work. Um, I really do appreciate it. I think it's great that we're doing the screening now. Thank you. Ms. Van de Kloot. Thank you. Um, a couple of things. I think, um, just as a comment, I think that my initial uh, reading of this was I was almost uh, a little disappointed, and people have touched on this, that we weren't doing Dibbles 8 at one of our schools because just from a kind of common sense place of where we're, <coughs> we're sitting is, oh, that means that we're testing different uh, uh, assessment tools and getting an idea of how they work. However, I did read carefully your, your uh, sentence that you put in here about saying that you guys have truly looked at both of them uh, and saw them to be uh, comparable. So, but that's, you know, it's kind of almost a, a common sense that my initial reaction was saying, oh wait, they're not doing Dibbles 8? Well, I thought we should be because we should be looking at all of them. Um, the next thing is uh, we were passing around the colored places, pieces. Okay, so I wanted to know what you do for a child who is colorblind. Do you first assess whether they're yeah. colorblind? You would assess if the student is colorblind and if you needed to do an alternate assessment, you can use object pictures rather than color pictures. Okay, and with those, um, the students, um, the uh, idea is this, how fast the students uh, can Correct, so what you're testing there is you are looking to see how quickly a student can pull information out of their long-term memory because if they're able to quickly access information in their long-term memory, it puts them at an advantage when it comes to fluency. And if they have difficulty with that, you know that it's harder for them to automatically pull things out of their long-term memory. So it's a risk factor that you're looking for. Okay, and a student who's coming in who has been speaking a different language at So all? I spoke with the EL staff about this. They are able to take that test in their first language. Great. It doesn't matter what you're really labeling. It's a matter of just having something that you know is solid in the student's memory, and you're looking to see if they can access that quickly. It's not about the colors or the numbers. If they don't know the colors, you wouldn't use them. They have to pass that first page first. Okay, okay great. And my uh, last comment really is, and this really comes from uh, speaking to my own daughter recently, recently, and uh, the whole question of dyslexic and she is dyslexic and was not identified until uh, really till uh, older in high school. Um, but she said to me, well mom, of course we should have known because I was always in the low reading group and, um, and made clear 
you know, the, the pain of the stigmati being stigmatized in the low reading group. And here we're talking a lot about taking students and determining what they know can do and not, but it also opens up and raises the concern of saying that those kids then are grouped together as the, the poor readers or the, and I, I just, I don't know how, we, how we're doing that today, but so Nicole. A couple different things with that. First of all, um, we do have reading groups sometimes, but it's um, part of the literacy block. But for this particular piece, when we look at our intervention, Every child is in a group, um, whether they're working on phonological awareness or CBCs, and they're all working with different teachers. And the Lexia Core 5, the nice thing about that is I could be on Lexia Core 5, and, and that's a computerized instruction, so I'm with a computer and it's playing fun games with me. I could be on Core 5 because I um, am a gifted reader and need some additional challenges, or I can be on Core 5 with my computer because I am struggling. Um, it's very hard to discern why you're, you, you can't see what the, exactly, as, as an, another student can't see what the other child's working mm -hmm. on. So um, I'm very, very sensitive to that um, for a variety of reasons, and that actually what you bring up is very important to me because I also know confidence. <clears throat> you know, we, we certainly don't want to put somebody who's already struggling with additional confidence issues. So we're really, really careful um, with okay. that, if Thank that you. helps to. And just one last, because you brought it up. So one of the interesting things about my daughter, she can read on a computer screen much, much easier mm. than she can read on a page. So how do we differentiate when we're giving a computer test for those kids for her who might struggle with the written page? So I'm very glad you asked that, actually, because um, I was going to mention that earlier um, to one of the questions. You, that's another reason why maybe somebody did poorly on Lexia Rapid. Was it because of the computer? Was it because of what you had, what you came in with when you're a kindergartner? So we have other progress monitors and other um, other assessments that we, quick ones that we can provide to make sure that this, Lex, like, let's say the Lexia Rapid, make sure it's not a inappropriate red flag to, to really to weed out um, the kids that performed well or struggle. Did I struggle because I'm just not good with the computer? And there's another assessment I am quickly given just to make sure, um, as well as formative assessments and teacher observations as well. It all kind of plays into this bigger picture. Okay. It's just a piece of the puzzle. Thank you very makes much. Sense. Ms. Kretz. Oh, hi. Thank you very much for your report. Um, I just have one question, um, and I think Paulette maybe touched on some of it, and um, so I just want to know, so can the Lexia core be used for the upper grades if somebody's struggling or develops dyslexia in middle school or high school, um, and will they get the intervention that they need? Just checking on that. So Lexia core five does go beyond second grade, okay. so yes. Okay. Great, because I know that when a parent, I received a message who mentioned that we think that the Dibbles 8 did cover the upper grades. Mm -hmm. the, the Lexia Core will cover those students as well. Lexia Core mm -hmm. 5 um, covers the upper grades, whether or not, um, you know, who it's going to be available to. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think we've made a, a final decision, but it's certainly an option for upper grades. Is that yeah. appropriate? Right now, <clears throat> we're sure that Lexi is offering core five to grades K to two. I cannot say with, okay. you know, uh, make a decision whether it will be for the upper grades. It's available. It is available. It's available. We just don't know if yeah. that will be. Okay. All set. Thank you.
Mr. Benedetto. Thank you. Um, I'll try to be brief. First of all, uh, I, when I saw this and I saw that we were only piloting two items, I was very happy because the less money we spend on assessment means more money that we might possibly have for intervention. So I was like, yay, um, save a dime now so we can spend it later on, on actually making progress with students. So I had a little different take than that. And I'd also at this point like to make a motion that the district establish a consistent document that all parents receive after each testing just to be informed that their children, uh, where, where they lied after, sorry, where they fell after each assessment. So that way the Columbus School, the wording is the same as the McGlenn School and at the Roberts School and every K through second teach, it's not teacher specific. This teacher does it during um, report cards. I just like it sent out form, district wide consistency, everybody gets the same. And um, I, I request that in a motion form and I'm looking for um, one of my colleagues to second that. Can we respond to that first? The reports at this point would be very different and the scores that are produced by the two different screeners are very different. So at this time, that doesn't seem to be feasible. It's certainly something that after we make a decision <coughs> following Desi's recommendation, we could make sure that things are systematically the same across the district. But at this point, we have two different screeners that, re that give us different information. Maybe the cover letter that goes with the results could be the same language and set up in the same format so that way understanding is, is, is I just want that communication piece to be given to every parent after each screening so that way we're consistent and with consistent, I've always been about consistency through the schools. Um, so I just want to make sure that every parent receives it after every screening and any progress or any um, red flags are identified there in a, in a way that we use the same language for each, each school. May, may I just add, um, I think one of the things we do have to think about is, I what, think what can be done um, is at the Columbus, for example, every K through two child, the format of the report, what it's showing um, can be very consistent. Um, it's an adaptive assessment, so what you may get information on your second grader um, on comprehension that, that someone may not get as much on because the assessment adapts to the child's ability. I do think it's gonna be very difficult to keep them consistent because they are two very different tests, if that makes sense. Um, but so certainly the Columbus, like the reports that the, the MAP report is fabulous, as I said, um, and it's very consistent in the information it, provides, it just depends on the child. Um, so I, I'm not saying every letter is gonna look the same, yeah. I just that all the content is the same and the wording and the language that we're using as a district is the same. The district has um, provided three different opportunities to assess your children in reading, okay, yeah. this, that type of a form thing. These are the results that we've received so far. We will update you again at, you know, in the winter and in the spring, and after each assessment, a follow-up letter goes. So that type of generalization wording, not I the think we can do that. thing. That's, yeah. So there's a motion on the floor to make sure that that happens for every school building in the elementary schools. There's a from second K by Mr. Ruggiero. Thank you. Mr. Russo. Oh, next. sorry, it's been a while. Um, 
Do any of these assessments have specific computer technology requirements? Yes. Um, and are, are those technology requirements consistent with what we already have or? Yes. Okay, so nobody's going to demand that we have, you know, 5,000 new iPads. Nope. And we've accounted in scheduling the assessment that it's fine. Excellent. Thank you. We also have headphones for all the kids, too. <clears throat> we ordered some additional headphones, but Great. yes. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Ruggiero. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on Paul's point. Um, is data collected about our students unbeknownst to them, or is there any personalized information that Lexia will then harvest on our students? I assume they won't. I hope they won't. It's HIPAA compliant. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, the program is secure and HIPAA compliant. Okay. Um, in terms of, I just want to get one second, because as we we're talking about this letter that goes out to all parents, are the different areas of testing necessarily aligned between the maps and Lexia? I mean, I imagine like phonemes are in there somewhere and sentence yeah. comprehension is in there somewhere. So there's broad areas that you could yeah. be used when you send this report to parents and saying, we're concerned about sentence comprehension, but we're on it and we're focused on these particular materials. Could that something like that be done? Or? The, the report will very clearly spell out where the concerns lie or where the, and where the strengths lie. Um, so that will be done. And there is certainly overlap between the two, but there's differences, which is, I think, why Desi chose these as two of the choices for the grant, if that. Thank you very much. Is, uh, there's a motion on the floor for a standardized letter be sent home advising all the parents, uh, family members, that this testing is being conducted. Seconded by Mr. Giro. On the motion, all those in favor? Aye. All those opposed? Motion's granted. Thank, Thank you very much. You. Is there a motion to accept this report and place it on file by Mr. Russo? Seconded by Ms. Van Include All those in favor? Aye. All those opposed? Motion passes. New business, vote on cleaning company contract, RFP summary and recommendation. Ms. Patterson. Thank you. So this uh, is the cleaning company that uh, services the high school and the McGlynn buildings in addition to our custodial staff. The current contract expires this year, November of 2019. We did advertise um, through the city's procurement office uh, under the request for proposal process, which incorporates uh, not only the lowest cost, but it identifies the level of service. It does a full review of the documents that are provided and reviews all of their references and experience levels so that it's not just a bottom line price that is under review. There were four addendums based on a site visit that the vendors had the opportunity to see both locations. And we did have uh, the separate price and non-price proposals that were evaluated. Eleven vendors submitted uh, proposals. Uh, John McLaughlin, Building and Grounds Director, and myself evaluated the non-price proposals separately. So we had our individual uh, evaluations of the non-price proposals and our own ranking identified two highly advantageous vendors, which is Compass Cleaning and Complete Cleaning Company. The price proposals were opened at City Hall with the Procurement Office representatives Shab Khan and Fiona Maxwell, and the pricing scheduled was attached to which identified year one, two, and three. So again, we are going with a base contract year that is for three subsequent years. They also provided a special cleaning category 
for large-scale cleaning if we requested that, and that's at the district's um, respective uh, request on an annual basis. The lowest price proposal was provided by Empire Cleaning. However, it was noted that their overall cost um, was such an outlier, it was really not considered as uh, relevant selection because their non-price proposal was poorly ranked. So John McLaughlin and myself made phone calls to the highest ranked vendors for recommendations and or concerns. We did speak with multiple um, uh, other districts and or municipalities that use both of the providers. The feedback was also provided by our building principals who have the current um, contractor, which is Compass, in relation to the level of service and response times for any concerns they might have. So with all of the information, the price components and the non-price proposal evaluation, it was our recommendation that the incumbent vendor, Compass Facility Services, be awarded the three-year base contract totaling $1,342,356 uh, for the three-year cleaning contract. So if I could ask just a quick question from the chair, if you'd all. Empire was not deemed highly advantageous before you opened the bids. Correct based upon the, the, the information that they furnished. Correct, on the non-price proposals. And have we had any issues with Compass over the course of the last year or two having to do with wages, no, wage theft, no, anything like that? No. They have a clean record with us. Correct. Okay, thank you. Mr. Russo. Thank you. Um, do we, um, I don't know how to ask this delicately. Um, do the employees of, of um, Compass um, receive wages and benefits even remotely similar to our custodial staff? So they are through a separate contractor. We do not dictate those wages. Um, they are quarry checked uh, for anybody that will be working under our contract, but we don't um, dictate what those, those wages are. So again, it's facilitated by each company, and that's why we have separate evaluations for price and non-price. So in our um, RFP, we have nothing in there that says they should make minimum wage. I mean, obviously they make minimum wage, but um, they can have no health care benefits and make minimum wage, and that's perfectly allowed in the RFP. Well, the R I can certainly share the RFP. So I can say that that's not the intent of the carriers or the vendors, and in fact it's the opposite because they are working very hard for retention and consistency with their staffing as well. So much of what the proposals incorporated was their commitment to their staff, commitment to their employees on an ongoing basis. And that was one of the criteria that was measured. It was measured. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Ms. Mustone. My question no? was similar to Paul's. So we just take their word from their RFP that they pay their employees a living wage? A fair living wage. We don't. They don't say we pay our employees minimum wage. No, we do not request their timesheets in that capacity. So it's a different type of a contract. It's not that they, they are. It's not a construction contract where we would request that. So yes, if there was an issue, we would certainly want to be notified in that regard. There are outside unions so that do Correct. watch this very closely, and they had looked at it three years ago when we awarded the contract to them. Could they look at it again to oh, make yes. sure? Yes, oh, definitely. We received a three-page letter mm -hmm. from, I believe it was SEIU, on this 
on the bid and on the RFP. So in future RFPs for cleaning, can we put in the language that they use for contractor RFPs that we make sure that there is a living wage living included wage. in the RFP? It's not a prevailing wage right. on yep. this, but Correct. So that, again, that's, we don't want to cost ourselves out of a service. That is part of what their proposal is, is based on, that they are looking at their wages, they are looking at the hours that they would need to be billable. So where their employees are not necessarily a full-time, the, uh, the wages or the hours are comparable in that regard. So do I know exactly what an individual is, is earning, per se? No, I don't. Right, and I know you didn't ask, right. so you wouldn't have the answer, but moving forward, I think... That could be cost prohibitive in terms of what we are, the, the goal is for this shared role. In terms of if we were going to utilize our own contracted rate, that would be a, a, a different context. No, I think... Context. Can I interject? She's talking about a living wage Correct. as opposed to a contracted... Okay. So we all support living wage. Right. So yes. yeah, that's what Ms. Stone was right. talking Yes. I'll share the RFP with everybody. That way you can have a, a good analysis of what. Right, but it sounds provided. like we didn't ask that question in the current RFP. So that's what I'm saying. Moving forward, can we put in the RFP that you provide whether it's a minimum wage or a living wage? But I mean, on a daily basis, we hear about how the cost of living in mm -hmm. the city of Medford, no one can afford it. So it seems like we should be doing our part to have people who are working in our schools be able to have a living wage. I'll get off Thank my soapbox now. Thank you. Perfectly said. Ms. Vandekloot. Uh, yes. Um, the increase, say, between the uh, last year and this new year one, uh, do you know what that is approximately? It's roughly 4%. It's roughly 4%, and I assume that you budgeted um, when we approved the budget in the... Um, I budgeted 3.5%, and this is a mid-year change, so I think we'll be right in line with that estimate. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Russo. I don't want to beat this dead horse too much, sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, why not? Um, so I get, you know... I, Part of what Ms. Mastone is saying also is like, you know, um, I mean, I don't know this company and, and I have no reason to think they're anything but the most trustworthy company, but in a $1.4 million contract, it, what I, I'm trying to make sure is that it's not a million dollars for the owner and then everybody else is like at the food pantry and... No, the structure of their bid is based on they have site supervisors and they identify the number of employees that would be at each location. So it was a very in-depth RFP Thanks. provided, Sorry. and I'm happy to share that with everyone. Great, I appreciate it, thank okay. you. Thank you. Mr. Ruggiero. Get the RFP in hand. I would advise that we do make a motion. I can send that out promptly, but we do need to take action on this because the contract sure. is expiring. There's a motion on the floor to table, which is undebatable. Is there a second? There's a second on the floor by Mr. Benedetto. On the motion to table, roll call vote, please. Member Dimaidetto? Yes. Member Kress? No. Member Stone? No. Member Ruggiero? Yes. Member Rousseau? No. Member Vandekloot? No. Mayor Burke? No. Two in the affirmative, five in the negative. The motion fails. I believe. So we're going to be voting on a motion with a contract that we don't have in hand. The information provided was a thorough. Um, summary of everything that transpired that was overseen by the 
city's procurement officer. Procurement officer. Mm -hmm. when, when does this contract need to be approved? As I indicated, it ends in November, so we did everything as timely as possible to get this in line. Ends in and November we have gone, 30th? And we have gone through the extension process. So given that we don't have as many uh, com committee meetings, we are hopeful that we can get this approved and line them up for a current contract. Well, I would much rather have another committee meeting than before approving a $1.3 million contract. Yeah, the that tabling I failed, so we're... Yeah, I'm, I'm just letting, mm -hmm. voicing my opposition to what... Ms. Benedetto. So um, I was just wondering when was the last time we did a cost analysis as to moving this in-house and hiring people from our community to take on some of these tasks as opposed to outsourcing? And, um, you know, I know we have custodial staff. How, have we done any looking at the cost savings by outsourcing this? And could we get that kind of information? Um, I just thought, like, if we can give Medford people or surrounding towns people jobs with benefits and we can get this work done through hiring people within our community, it's, it's a great opportunity here. Um, in a, year after year, it goes up and up, and when was the last time we stepped back and say, what do we actually need, and can we hire people either part-time or full-time and provide benefits and expand our workforce and I just look at it as a, a possible win for the community by providing jobs so I, I, I don't know I haven't seen that data since I've been here for eight years so I just thought it was is appropriate time to ask for that and even if not for this contract I'd like to see that I make a motion for that to happen even if if we have to move forward with this contract so that way the committee looks at this or maybe we do a one-year contract while we look into this, I, I don't know. But I just, if we have an opportunity to give someone a job that lives in Medford in our schools, that takes pride in, in, in our buildings and in our students, and it's cost-effective or close to it, I, I would love to see that happen, so. Ms. Patterson? So I can uh, identify that we have increased our custodial staff to the extent this has been something in place that has been um, agreed upon with our, our Teamster group, um, the union. So we, we have been in partnership with that and based on what the uh, an initial projection is that this, this would be a cost savings over a three year period. When was that last reviewed is my question and can we review it again? Well, I think at this juncture we, we've already been as I indicated in the budget process last season, that this was due coming up this, this fall. And so we've been in that, that time frame and, and looking at that as the goal, not a cost comparison. So we're in a, a bit of a time crunch in terms of having some service at all. And um, unfortunately, failure to act on this at this point could leave us without cleaning uh, at the two buildings. I, to I totally agree, and it is last minute, and as I was sitting here, that's what came to mind, and that's why I'm bringing it forward. So what I'm requesting is by December, we get a cost analysis, so in, in maybe we move forward now, but in the future, we have that data, more recent, and, and then I won't be on this committee at that point, but the committee will have data and information as to whether they want to keep going with outsourcing or if we want to provide good jobs for good people who live in Medford. And that's what I would hope that this committee does. Point of information? Ms. Vandekloot. To my colleague, it would make more sense for you to make the motion that prior 
to the next um, implementation or prior to the next contract. time contract that that we do a study because to do it in December well now that another two and three quarter years are going to pass so the the information will be current but if you if you make the motion that prior to uh, the next time we go out to renew the um, uh, contract we do that uh, cost analysis between uh, in-house and outhouse or outside that would make much more sense so if I could ask you to reword it Motion at this. Thank you. Sorry, Mayor. Um, thank you. So I'd like to make a motion that we approve this contract for our annual um, contract instead of a three-year, and that cost estimate be done prior to the the end of our negotiations at the end of that. Three-year contract, then this will. If we just take one year, then it won't. It nullifies the process. We requested a three-year contract. Ms. Vandekloot. The other thing I just want to re remind my colleague is that um, while I understand that it, it sounds great to say, well, we want to give Medford people jobs, we, this company may be employing Medford people. I, I don't know who the employees are. I do know that there are um, multiple employees um, who have already worked for the company. And um, so to just, you know, it, while it may sound great, uh, great that statement sound, may sound great. I think it's superficial because the fact of the matter is that there are probably people, I, I know that we have gotten good feedback on the, the employees and I'd hate to just put them out of work because we had some other thought of, oh, Medford people. Well, maybe they are Medford people. So it's a little more complex than- Is there a motion for approval of the three-year contract? There is a motion for approval. Motion for approval by Ms. Vanderclute, seconded by Mr. Russo. Mr. I would like to make an amendment to that motion and add that um, a study be done prior to the next three year, the end of this contract. Can we do it as a B paper? Because the contract should stand on its own, and then we can move your motion. So moved. If you have a second, which I, Ms. Vanderclute did. Okay, on the main motion, roll call vote, please. Madam Secretary? Yes. Yes, six in the affirmative, one in the negative. Motion passes. And on the B paper by Ms. DiBenedetto, seconded by Ms. Vandeclude. All those in favor? Aye. All those opposed? Motion passes. Thank you. There are a motion to go into executive session by Mr. Russo, seconded by Ms. Vandeclude, to discuss negotiations and legal matters, in particular the Carpenters Union ratification of the collective bargaining agreement and the food service negotiation update. Roll call vote, please, Ms. Secretary. Yes. Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Motion passes. We will be leaving from executive session, opening up in 207, and then leaving from there. We will not return here. Thank you.